Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. All right, we're continuing in our series this week called What Would Jesus Undo? And uh, there's a lot of things that Jesus actually would undo. Um, in our lives personally, of course, but also corporately in the church. And that's kind of where we've headed so far in this series. What would Jesus undo? Last week we talked about uh, the word Christian. And I told you straight up that Jesus wants to undo the mindset of what it means to be Christian because, in fact, in Scripture, it's not a political box to check. Uh, In a relationship with him, it's not even something he asked of us. Jesus, nowhere in Scripture, says, I want you to become a Christian. What Jesus says is, I want you to follow me. Jesus is looking for disciples, not congregants. All right? So there's a review. More on that. You can check out our podcast. You can find it through iTunes, through Google Play, whatever your uh, particular brand of media is. Feel free to find us on it and catch up with us. How far is heaven? How far is heaven? The Los Lonely Boys? Uh, That has got to be one of the funnest songs that was ever recorded, I have to say. Jesse, is that not one of the coolest, slickest, funnest guitar riffs ever? Come on. That is, those brothers can play and they can fly. But they ask a really important question, how far is heaven? The title of today's message is, what would Jesus undo? Jesus would undo your thoughts on heaven. And I got to do a lot of the bunny ear parentheses, 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 on this subject because I need you to understand there is a bit of a sarcastic tone. Of course we believe in Christianity. Of course, we believe there's a line, as we talked about last week. And of course, we believe in heaven. Or maybe it's only me. Okay? And there's one brother in the place that believes in heaven. So, Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would help me to preach the gospel to this church for the very first time ever. Amen. (laughs) This is why we're talking about this this morning. Heaven. We have a lot of strange ideas about heaven. We have a lot of bad theology about heaven. We also have some bad theology on hell, as it happens. And we're not going to go really into that today, but um, I think if you stick with me, you're going to find that you pretty much agree because of what the Holy Spirit is speaking into your heart. And I think we do have a lot of problems in our thinking, and I want to address them all. I guess I should say it this way. There's just so much in my heart right now about what Jesus wants to undo in people's lives, that that it's really hard for me to get it all into the time we have. So I'm going to do my best, and um, I think at the end of it all, we're going to realize there there is an answer to the question, how far is heaven? Well, it's not nearly as far away as you think, first of all. And, um, well, let's let's just dive in. Let me just start by asking you this question. How much time and space exists between where you are today and what you believe heaven is? How much time and space exists between yourself and what you believe heaven to be? How, how much time and space? Uh, some of you are probably uh, lifelong time people, and you don't really think about how much space might, between, might be between you and heaven as you presently think about it. Uh, you might be someone who's got, you know, a little bit, a little bit better doctrine on the matter, and so you kind of already can guess where we might be going today. 
uh, thinking of the words of Jesus, thinking the words of the author of the book of Hebrews, and how they explained some of the concepts of the kingdom of God, or what scripture often refers to as uh, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Those are transferable, just so you know. Whenever you hear the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God, it's transferable because in a messianic culture, they did not like to say the name God out of reverence. They didn't like to say his name out loud, purely out of reverence for him. And so quite often they would substitute, instead of the kingdom of God, they'd say the kingdom of heaven. All right? And depending on the translation of Bible you read, you might see it both ways, and that's okay. You just need to understand that that's okay. But the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God in Scripture are actually the same place. They're the same concept, they're the same heart, and they're actually the same thought. Um, have you ever thought, giving serious adult thought to this question, have you ever actually thought about what might be wrong with your perspective of heaven? What might be wrong with it? What could be adjusted about it? Have you ever, in your quiet time, said, Lord, would you just speak to me about heaven today? Because I think I need to know a little bit more about heaven today. See, what happens is, is we've had a doctrine creep into the church over the last number of decades that has steered us away from the reality of heaven in the present, placing it on a shelf for one day after the the trials and tribulations and the second or third coming of Christ, depending on what your particular eschatology is. Now, if you don't know what I just said, I hope you never have to learn about it. Because it's actually a lot of religious talk and mumbo-jumbo that, frankly, you shouldn't worry about unless you're leading about a million people a year to Jesus. What I'm trying to say is there's way more important things than understanding where we fall in the end times of how things are going to unfold. And for those of you who love being there, just stop. Just stop. Tomorrow when you go to work, show Jesus to someone in your own face. And then let's worry about doctrine of the end times. Because Jesus isn't worried about it. All right. What's wrong with our picture of heaven? Uh, Hopefully this makes it up because I did throw it up in bold in the notes. But there's a line through it. We got it? Do, do we got it, guys? Uh, heaven is a giant pleasure factory. I, I'm thinking maybe we didn't get that up there today. That's okay. Heaven is a giant pleasure factory. Oh, perfect. It, it is and it isn't. Lots of us think about heaven as a place that's going to be awesome, that, that it's a place that's going to be full of miracles and wonder, uh, and that it's going to be really bright and shiny. Because we read some verses in the Bible that say, like, God's glory illuminates it. It doesn't even need the sun to shine. And so heaven has got to be about pleasure, and it's likely true that there will be pleasure in heaven. Uh, Because Scripture says, at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In the book of Psalms, chapter 16, verse 11. Let's throw it up there and read it together. Psalm 16, says, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures for any, forevermore. And we take that and we associate heaven then with this place where good things only happen. Or we, you know, whatever it is. Let's say Travis Stagg loves chocolate. And his vision of heaven is that one day he's going to die and he's going to go to heaven for all eternity. And every day he wants to take a bath, he gets to do so in a chocolate fountain. 
Now, some of you are laughing at that, but we all know there's somebody in this church who loves chocolate that much. They're actually hoping that that's what heaven might be like in part. And I'm not here to destroy your funny mentality of what heaven could be in terms of wonder, but it's not simply a giant pleasure factory. And if we think of it only as that, we are placing heaven out of reach for today and thus, like checking the box that I'm a Christian but never living in the resurrection power of Jesus, we will never live in the reality of heaven that he intended to be here today. It's a major problem for us as a church. When we take an end times doctrine, we take a doctrine into our lives that say we're just going to suffer it out, we're going to slug it out here on earth, things are going to continue to get worse and there's no hope, and one day Jesus is just going to finally come back and put an end to all of it, we have missed out on the primary call of what it means to be a follower of Christ. All those things will come to pass. But I just got to ask you, why does it matter so much to you? when the commission is still in front of your eyes. So many cases, we read Scripture in one verse, in one way, in one part of its thought, but we never keep it in the context of the whole. See, chapter 16 of the book of Psalms is really not about heaven alone, but it's about how God is our portion, our more than enough throughout this life, and he's our deliverer in death. But we read, at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore, and we complete the thought. That, that's bad Bible study. Let me just make this point by asking a question. What good are pleasures forevermore without the fullness of joy. Let me just ask it again, and maybe some of you are going to put the Legos together right now. But what good are pleasures forevermore if there is no fullness of joy? So stop focusing on that there are pleasures forevermore and recognize something very important that that Bible verse reveals. What is it? In whose presence is fullness of joy? Well, in Jesus' presence, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. And because of his presence, there's fullness of joy. The pleasures at his right hand forevermore are actually going to be worth something. But if we live in a mentality that fails to recognize the reality of God's presence, we will never truly enjoy the pleasure he has in store for us. When we really get this into our hearts and our heads, we begin to learn that the apostles who wrote things like, I count it pure joy when I encounter trials and troubles and tribulations. See, they had a perspective of God's presence and the reality of the kingdom of heaven in their life that we have lost as disciples of Jesus today. Heaven is not simply a giant pleasure factor. I'm really sorry I keep pulling out my pants. It's so awkward and more so for me than you, I assure you. I walked into church today, and the two little screws that hold my belt buckle on my belt were just gone. And so all of a sudden, I was undone. Um, so by the grace of God, I'm going to burn some grace today in that area and try to awkwardly, yet not awkwardly, keep my pants up. Because I did preach one time without pants, and we never want to go back there. And everybody said Amen. Seriously, it was pretty cool, though, and I got your attention. Um, <laughs> but what good is the pleasures forevermore without the fullness of joy, which is the direct result of his presence? There's a clue here for you in the whole thought of heaven. In his presence is fullness of joy. 
Okay, the second um, not exactly true hood, I don't want to call it a falsehood because there are parts of it that are true, is that heaven is going to be the biggest thing ever. Right? Have you ever imagined how big heaven must be? Even though the Bible does give us a bit of a scale, he talks about the holy city in the book of Revelation, how many cubits high. And some time ago we did, uh, we did a, a message on that, and we actually calculated, and I think my math was a little bad, so it's a little bit less acreage for like 8 billion people than I calculated. But it's hard to calculate acreage uh, for 8 billion people, in fairness to me. Not a great math mind. Um, but it was still like, like, we get like two and a half acres wide by high and deep or something like that for 8 billion people in the city. That's, that's insane. But that's not even heaven. Heaven is absolutely going to be huge. I mean, the galaxies and all of creation surely must fit inside of heaven. And so we begin to worship heaven and the ideology of going to heaven because not only is it going to be a pleasure factory it's also going to be like the biggest bestest place we could ever go to but i think we need to remember something heaven is way smaller than god that is to say god is way bigger than heaven we think it's bad when we watch creation begin to worship the created rather than the creator. But can I just suggest as the church, when we place our ideology or our mind's focus on what heaven might be like, and we forget that heaven will be completely overshadowed and inundated with the reality and absolute size of who God is. How big is your God? How big is he? Is he is he limited by heaven? I I was reminded as I was preparing for this message, there was an old there's a question that many of you have probably heard. And uh, it usually in like wild internet debates between uh, you know atheists and, and Christians or creationists or whatever, someone will inevitably ask the question, okay, well, can God create a stone so big that he cannot move it? Oh, you see what they're doing there, right? They're trying to trap you into answering the question that would put a limitation on God. Do you want to know the answer to that question? Somebody ask me the question. Anybody, come on. That's an interesting question, Ben. You want to know the answer, Ben? Do you really want to know the answer? Here's the answer. <laughs> We should feel silly to have the audacity to think that God is somehow limited by the confines of the question. Church, we got to believe in a Jesus that is bigger than the confines of what human beings ask of him. You got to believe in a kingdom of heaven that is bigger than the constraints you see in your present, past, or future. You've got to understand the concept of the heart of God being bigger than anything that has ever been created, including heaven. Because when we live in this ideology that says heaven is this and God is that and all I need to do is suffer it out until the end and it'll all be better when Jesus comes back, we are missing out on the life he called us to live abundantly. 
What good are pleasures forevermore without the fullness of joy? What good is heaven if God is smaller than heaven? Here's a third one I just threw out for an example. You know, I could have given you a hundred examples of things that we think wrong about heaven. But for the sake of time, I limited myself to like three. It was painful. Heaven is where Christians are relocated at death. This is, this is honestly the most offensive one. Now, if I asked all of us who are following Jesus in a relationship with him right now to bow our heads and close our eyes, honestly, honestly, if I asked you a simple question about heaven, most of us would acknowledge, well, heaven is the place where I get relocated when I die. We would. And I can say that with confidence because how you and I live our lives and how we interact with one another. It is true. It is true for anyone who is saved by the power, by the blood, by faith in Jesus, that you will be in heaven. That is true. But it's not limited to that truth. You see, while Christians may enter a different realm of heaven after we physically die, it is, it is nowhere near as big a deal as we make it. I mean, it's important to cross the line before we die. It's important to identify by believing in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, and making that confession with our mouth. It's important to have that line crossed. Let me just say it this way. Heaven is nowhere near as much about relocation as it is about transformation. And the problem is that so many Christians, especially in the North American continent, we, we, we get stuck on the idea that heaven is going to be about being relocated. Well, when I die, I'm going to go be with Jesus, and I'm looking forward to it. Sure, of course I am. But do I really want to be relocated before I'm transformed? And you say, well, I don't know, I understand why you're splitting this doctrinal hair, Pastor Trav, but aren't you aware that Jesus set this very example before us? When Jesus was raised from the dead, the Bible teaches us that he took the keys to death and hell. The Bible teaches us that he was resurrected in a new body, a transformed body. And then he went to his disciples and he walked with them, and he ate with them, and he slept with them, and he appeared before them, and then he ascended to heaven. And can I just suggest to you, Christian who doesn't want to move forward in your relationship with God, it's high time you begin to think about the example that Jesus set in terms of transformation before ascension. Yes, you will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, like Scripture says, when Jesus comes. But can I tell you the secret to a happy life in Jesus? Be transformed today by the renewing of your mind so that you may know, so you may do the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Don't wait. Transformation is the best part of finding Jesus. 
Because everything after that is simply with him. And if you're not understanding it quite yet, in heaven, with him is all there is. What else are you going to experience in heaven but the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ? (laughs) We never thought of that before, did we? You know, in heaven it's going to be tough. And I know there's some smokers who attend our church, so please don't get offended when I say this. Uh, I think you can be free of smoking, and I'd love to pray with you to get free from smoking. And at the same time, because you smoke a cigarette today does not mean you're going to lose your salvation and go to hell. Um, But it's like in heaven... There will be no quick place to go off and sneak a, sneak a smoke, you know? <laughs> like, it's not quite like a church where it's like, I'm just going to go out to my truck where no one can see me. I'm going to light up a cigarette because Pastor Travis was so stressful on me today. <laughs> In heaven, there will be no place to go away for a quick little indiscretion. In heaven, there'll be, there'll be no place to go and have an evil thought about your brother or sister. In heaven, there'll be no place to go and flip open a porno magazine. There'll be none of that in heaven because in heaven we experience nothing but the perfect lordship of Jesus Christ. And I know that some of you are a little bit scared of that, but I want to tell you you're scared of that because there are parts of you that are not yet submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And when you submit yourself wholly to his lordship so that he is not only the one who saves you, but he is the one who lords you, you find the fullness of joy in his presence. Not in his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. You see, we get these things backwards in our mind, and it makes it easier for us if we think about it backwards. But God's heart is not that we would think about who he is backwards. It's that we would place the priorities in the right order according to what he said in Scripture. And then that we would live them out victoriously. Heaven is a place that our bodies will be relocated to at death, but it is much more about my transformation than my relocation. Hebrews 2 verse 9 says, But we do, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Let's just talk about being relocated for a moment to heaven. Some years from now, hopefully many years, (laughs) it's the skinny jeans and my large tapered legs. You know, they just, they want to go the wrong way. (laughs) My legs are the physical attribute my wife loves the most about me, just so you know. Um, But just think about relocation with me for a moment. It's good that my jeans are falling down because it gives a little bit of comic relief to some of the stress I feel like I could be causing a few of you this morning. Um, But think about this. If Jesus tasted death for me, what will death taste like when I die? I, I love this thought. If Jesus tasted death for all men who will call upon his name, who will follow him, who will allow him to be Savior and Lord of their life, what will death taste like? Well, the answer is death will be tasteless for me. So much so that I wonder if when I die, I will even realize that I have died for a while. 
Now, I know some of us have never thought about this, but it's actually really important. What will it be like when you die knowing that Jesus tasted death so you don't have to? And that's one of the coolest things about being a follower of Jesus. I think, I think that I won't notice right away. I've been with at least one great man of God when he passed away. And from my physical observation, watching his physical body literally stop twitching. I know that's a little vulgar. But literally watching life leave and the physical reality of that person coming to a complete end. I don't think he even noticed. I don't know what it looks like. I imagine that on the day of my death, I'll be looking over my feet, laid out, home, hospital, upside down in a car, whatever. And I'll just see Jesus standing there. And I'll probably say something like, cool, let's go. See, church, we need to live in a reality that reminds us constantly that Jesus tasted death for us. And because he tasted death for us, relocation, relocation's not a big deal. Now, I'm not saying this to you because my theology is being informed by the old Bruce Willis movie, Ghost. If you're old enough to remember that movie, welcome to the club. My, my, my theology, my thinking, what's in my heart today is inspired by the Word of God. I'll say it again, heaven is about transformation more than relocation. Jesus was transformed before he relocated. Right? Do you remember reading that in the scriptures? He rose from the dead. He met with his disciples in a transfigured way. And then he ascended to heaven. Can I just ask you, why would we expect our image of Jesus in us to look any different? Some of us sit through all of life waiting for heaven because, well, when I'm in heaven, I'll be perfect and it'll all be okay. That may be true, but you're missing out on the opportunity to be perfected today. To be made holy today. What kind of Jesus do you look like? I look around in the church world when I go to restaurants, when I go to events that are well attended by, in parentheses, against uh, Christians. And you know, the Jesus that I see on people's faces is the suffering servant Jesus, not the resurrected King Jesus. And I, I just want to ask you the question whose image do you actually bear? 
Do, do, you, do you and I truly bear the image of Jesus that is just the suffering servant? The answer to that is absolutely not. The image that we bear is the resurrected king. That's the image you bear. Do you, do you understand that as a follower of Jesus, you actually cannot be the image bearer of the suffering servant? Because if that is the image that you bear, I fear you are still dead in works and dead to sin. The Jesus that we bear the image of is the resurrected Jesus because it is in and simply and only in the resurrection of Jesus that we have life. Do you understand that? That is to say that if Jesus was still in the ground, if he was still in the tomb, there would be no resurrection life for us. And so the image we bear is one of resurrection life, not one of suffering because of sin. But when was the last time we gave serious adult thought to that? And how does that affect our thoughts on heaven? How does that affect the distance between heaven and my heart? You see, we get it wrong as believers when it comes to grace. We recognize that it is by grace we are saved through faith, not by our works so that none of us can brag about it. But it's like we stop with the grace at that point. And I need you to know this as a follower of Jesus, that as a believer, as a follower of Christ, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you burn more grace than any sinner ever could. You see, people who follow Jesus do everything in his grace. We wake up in his grace we sleep in His grace. We eat, we cook, we discipline our children. We stay married by His grace. We tell the truth by His grace. We pray for one another by grace. We get up and go to work for a boss who's a total jerk by grace. Or maybe you didn't know that. We take Romans 6, 1, where it says, Should we then continue to sin so that grace may abound? Rhetorical question. The answer is, of course not. But we leave it there. You aware that nowhere in Scripture does it say that's where we ought to leave it? We should not sin that grace may abound. So what should we do that grace may abound? Well, we should do every good work. We should do every encouraging thing for one another so that grace may abound. We should live in the image of a risen king so that grace may abound. We should speak the truth in love so that grace may abound. We should preach the gospel to every nation so that grace may abound because God's grace loves to abound in the lives of believers. And we need to understand this morning, church, that God's grace actually wants to abound in your life because the kingdom of heaven is not a thousand miles away, but the kingdom of heaven is actually right here. And what you and I are tasked with as the body of Christ is to be the representation of his nature to this world and to bring pieces of heaven down into this world so that other people can see our Father and know him. 
And if we do anything less than that, we are not living in the fullness of the salvation that Jesus paid for with his blood. I hope you're convicted because I thought you'd like that. So it's a little bit opposite reaction, you know? We've got to live in the fullness of his salvation. We need to bring heaven down to earth. And that will not take anything away from heaven and eternity, just so you know. To adjust our theology, to adjust our doctrine, to recognize that we have something to do by God's grace while we are here, does not taint, it does not take away from, it does not limit the reality of eternal heaven by any stretch, by any measure. In fact, I believe it does the exact opposite. I believe that it enriches eternity when we bring heaven to earth. Because when we bring heaven to earth, we're bringing the culture of heaven against the culture of this world. And we are in a war of culture right now as a nation. We have a leader right now who even says we have no culture. We have no defining culture. But the church has an identity and a culture in the person of Jesus Christ. We're not bringing a white person's culture. We're not trying to bring a Mexican culture or a Nigerian culture or a French or an English culture. We're just doing the best we can to say, if that's Jesus, I want him here, and I want the reality of his presence in my life every day, in this church, in this people. See, Jesus, when he was questioned by the Pharisees in Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, said, now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Now that's very important. Because we all want to relate heaven to signs and wonders, don't we? Well, more people would come to church if there were some signs and wonders. Well, more people would, would follow Jesus if, you know, if, if there was a miracle. Well, more people would this and that and more people. And, and, and man, the problem is we just got no signs. That is not our problem. Our problem is, is we got no heaven in the church. That's our problem. If we could just understand that the kingdom of heaven coming is what precedes the signs and wonders. When the kingdom of heaven comes down, i.e. the kingdom of God, i.e. the reality of the presence wherein is the fullness of his joy, when that comes down to earth and is lived out in the lives of people who call Jesus Lord, then signs and wonders follow. And maybe we're not seeing people healed, and maybe we're not seeing someone raised from the dead simply because we have crappy theology on heaven. Because we're waiting for it as if it is far off when Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is right here and it is right now. Did you just pst at me because I'm getting too long? My pants? I was prepared to preach till they're at my knees. I just want you to know. Are you, are you here in my heart? More importantly, forget my heart. Are you here in the heart of God this morning? Guys, there's not a, 
there's not a problem with your faith. You have all the faith you need. You have the measure that you needed, and actually God put it in, the, in your heart and in who you are from the very start. You have the measure of faith that it takes. It's not a faith problem. It's a perspective problem. It's a priority problem. How do you get the kingdom of heaven here? How do we bring the kingdom of heaven into this gymnasium? How do we bring the kingdom of heaven into people's marriages? How do we bring the kingdom of heaven into families? How do we bring the kingdom of heaven into a workplace? The answer is actually really simple. You bring the kingdom of heaven simply by bringing his presence. You need to start bringing the kingdom of heaven with you wherever you go. Even to the hard places. And you're thinking, yeah, hard, like, what, are you telling me to go into the strip club and bring the kingdom of heaven? No, I'm like into the relationship with your teenage son or daughter who's looking at bad stuff on the internet. That's the hard place. Wild, outrageous ministry is easy. What is hard is the commitment to the closest people that you love where day after day after day you pray, you preach, and you love the presence of God into every aspect of your relationship with them. That's the reality of our ministry. That's the reality of our calling. I just realized this morning as I was finishing up, everywhere Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like which is all of his parables, almost, or most of. I didn't verify exactly. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who... The kingdom of heaven is like a... The kingdom of heaven is... Do you know that everything Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven dot, 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 is followed by action. Knowing that we're not saved by works and that we commit action or we take action for his sake by his grace alone. What our time on earth is, in the simplest terms, is practice for existing under his lordship. <laughs> Maybe you've never thought of it that way. What am I doing on earth? This, this sucks. This is hard. This isn't fair. My my family member got cancer. It's not fair. I have injuries that can't be explained. My body is not cooperating with me. My pants keep trying to fall down. None of this is fair. And I think God chuckles at us, his goofy, goofy children, because your struggle with cancer is not bigger than God. It's not bigger than heaven. It's actually... It's actually not even bigger than your faith. Because in your struggle with sickness, and in your struggle with a marriage that's falling apart, there is an opportunity for you to be perfected and to become just a little bit more like Jesus. To practice being under his lordship. I want you to think of the Lord's Prayer with me because I know that you know it. How does it start? Let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guys, Jesus taught us to pray the kingdom of heaven to earth. You know what's amazing? What does he say after that? And give us this day our daily bread. Because we need to have daily bread to function in this earth as we bring heaven to it. And forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Why? Because we need forgiveness and grace and compassion for one another while we're doing the work of bringing heaven into our city. Oh, and lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Because we're busy about the work of bringing heaven to this floor. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I, there are so many more things I want to say to you. I, I want to paint a picture for you of what heaven could look like if we live today in the perspective of what it is and what it will be. Limitless wonders, absolutely. Opportunities galore, absolutely. Pleasures forevermore, certainly. But what are we missing if we leave it all for then when really Jesus invited us to live in it now? Let me just say that again. You, you want signs and wonders to follow you? Then you need to reach up and pull heaven down. And the best way that I know how to bring heaven down is to do this. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that in due time he will lift you up. You know when he lifts us up is when the reality and culture of his presence hits the floor. But if we don't humble ourselves, if we don't acknowledge that he is way bigger than our problems, he's way bigger than our battles, He's way bigger than the disruptions in our marriages. He's way bigger than what our kids are doing on their phones. God help us that he's way bigger than the fact that some of our daughters are starting to date. And sons. Each other. <sighs> Say, Pastor Trav, why would you... Why would you preach so serious and then make a joke? <laughs> it's not a joke. God laughs at our stupid questions, and we can laugh at our stupid circumstances if we can just get his heart and understand that the culture of heaven is what we need more than ever. We're going to sing that song, Heaven. And as we do, I hope that you're going to ask the question this morning that we ask every week. And that is, God, what do you want me to do with what I just heard today? Holy Spirit, speak to me. 
I want you to know that God loves talking to you. Even when you don't listen, he, he actually loves talking to you. And the way you can learn to hear from him is to just start taking these moments. You know, the reason that we take this moment at the end of every service, it's not to try and manipulate your emotions. It's to help you create a space in your week where you actually take the time to reflect, to pause, and to give opening to what the Holy Spirit might actually say. And you know what? If you do that a thousand times throughout the week, God bless you. Be blessed by one more opportunity to hear from him. But for those of you who have a hard time hearing from God, that's what this moment is for. You might be here this morning, and you, in fact, do not have a relationship with your Heavenly Father through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way that you will have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. The only way. He said, Jesus said those words. It's His word. And there are a million ways to Him. And you just need to choose one this morning. Choose your way to Jesus. It's fine. Come as you are. Come with what you have. Come with this much of yourself. If that's the first step, that's okay. Because once he takes that much of your heart, you can decide if you want to trust him with the rest. It's a relationship. Holy Spirit, we just take the time right now in this moment to ask that question. What do you want to say to us? Lord Jesus, I pray against every confusing word that comes from the enemy in this moment. Lord, in your name I ask that you would speak clearly to every heart in this room, that you would open every ear. Lord, that you would put in us such a deep desire and a deep hunger to see your presence and the reality of your kingdom come and meet us here in this place and stay with us throughout our week and infiltrate our family circumstances and our workplaces, God. We look forward to eternity, God, but we want heaven now in whatever part we can attain it. And whatever peace we can hold it, Lord, we want the culture of your eternity here. Jesus, help us. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.